May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Welcome to the Dominion Podcast, episode number 35. We have a very special, uh, very special night tonight. Uh, it's Ben's birthday. <laughs> yeah, I'm 83. Actually, that's not Ben's birthday, but I might as well introduce Ben while we're on the topic of Am ben. I your first guest? <laughs> uh, I think you, well... You're more of an honorary member, I think, rather than a guest. Oh, yeah. Okay. You're like the cousin that just, just kind of pops in. I just got fast-tracked. Yeah. You're like the cousin that pops in every now and then when he yeah. knows that mom's cooking spaghetti. Right. You know? Who, who you really <laughs> wish would rather leave, but you feel obligated to keep him on. No. No. Well, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> ben Inglis, and uh, I'm Jeremy Boyd, uh, one of your hosts, and we're here with uh, Professor... Alex Glitz. Yeah, doctor. Uh, <laughs> doctor. Master. <laughs> distinguished. <laughs> Herr Klusterman, <laughs> Czar. Hey, how's your how's your guys' weeks going? Good. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, sorry, I, mean, I said good. That's improper. Yeah, it's, I'm so far so good. Uh, it's almost as if I could have benefited from a classical Christian education. <laughs> Get a little while we're on the grammar subject. practice, you know. Yeah, yeah. You are you are you going to be doing? An episode on that at some point. We Education? are. We next are week, hoping next week we'll have uh, we'll have Principal uh, oh, Auger Professor on Auger, yeah. Professor, we'll give him some uh, August title mm-hmm. uh, before he comes on. But uh, yeah, uh, the Classical Christian School are the unofficial sponsors of uh, the Dominion Podcast. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell us? Uh, when, when are you guys? You guys were both there today teaching. Why don't you tell us what was the well, day we, like? We were school? both there at the beginning. <laughs> of, yes. this, of this it was i think actually our only idea to date that has come to fruition yeah yeah so i mean that in itself is so it's working it is yeah. yeah what's uh what's an average day like at school i mean you guys are always talking about how great it is there i've popped in during the school day and it's a it's a wonderful atmosphere mm-hmm. the kids seem uh, happy everybody seems to be learning and i mean that's the main the main well thing. I, th- I think <clears throat> Yeah, it is one of the happiest places to be, I would say, over the last two years and the disruption of society and family rhythms and school rhythms, um, actually everything in everyone's life. Uh, it has been a shining port in the storm, hmm. and um, it has just been a really happy place. And I think that's because you know, our understanding of teachers, as has been classically understood, is that they must um, love to learn and love to teach and that that is contagious. Mm. You know, the goal for our students is not that they would just learn some facts about the world, but that they would love to learn. And all, I mean, I know Ben and I have discussed this. Uh, I hated most of school. Yeah. And most people wouldn't describe school as a place where they love to learn. But we have students from, you know, all the way from K to eight, and different backgrounds and different families, different temperaments, you know, many, many different students. And I, I don't think it's uh, misleading to say they all love being there. It seems that way when you go, yeah. when you go there. Yeah, and their teachers love them, and they know that their teachers love them. Their teachers love to learn, and they love to teach, and they love to um, see and, and point out how all of life and reality is about Jesus. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just an exciting place yeah that's an interesting point i know we're not on the topic of education tonight but when you talk about teachers um loving to learn i think 
all the teachers that we grew up with that we really liked, yeah, those were those type of people. Yeah, it was a contagious. Uh, you know, you could tell they they really enjoyed the information that they were passing. Along. Yeah, people today would say they're passionate about what they do. Right, and sure, that's that's why I'm just one way of describing it. Yes, yes, there are a lot of passionate teachers in the public school, but they're just passionate about revolutionizing your children. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, I'm sure we'll get to that next week when we have uh, Principal Auger on. But uh, what are we talking about today? I heard you guys mentioned something about pie, so I came ready to eat. Yeah, we're going to talk about pie, all kinds of pie. Yeah. Tonight. Pumpkin pie. The history of pie, <laughs> the future of pie. Not yeah. not the mathematical equation either. We're no. talking about the delicious, delicious, crusty yeah. yeah, keeping on brand. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but more specifically, pietism. Oh, yeah. pietism. Yeah, the Canadian religion. Yeah, and uh, and sorry, not to switch from you know the comedy act to the regular act here, but uh, I'm going to. Um, as as we've been preparing for this, we've been you know reading and watching uh, videos and whatnot, and you just realize how ingrained this is. And I was telling mm. this to Ben earlier. I see, I see these traits like deep inside of me, and so it's really convicting seeing the traits of Pietism. I know we're going to get into what those are. Well, I see them in you too, yeah. which is which is why Ben and I are actually both here. Tonight. This is actually an intervention. <laughs> yeah, we're the authority on this subject. <laughs> so why don't we why don't we start by defining what is Pietism? Most people know what piety is or have an idea what piety is. Well, but but let's start there though. Okay. Let's start with what piety is, because this, this I think, gets at the heart of what pietism is, which is a caricature right. of that. True piety comes, well, the English word comes from the Latin word, um, which is basically referring to uh, devotion mm. or a sense of religious duty. Yeah. And so this is captured in Virgil's Aeneid with Aeneas and him carrying his father, and this was on the coins, and piety was one of the primary... Uh, virtues of a Roman citizen. Uh, right. People think about Romans, especially a lot of Christians, maybe because there was such a such conflict between Rome and Christians um, initially, mm -hmm. that people view them as like maybe they were atheists, somewhat right. anachronistically, like, oh, they were the atheistic society, and then the spiritual people came along. But actually, um, Christians were referred to as atheists by the Romans. Uh, for their refusal basically to worship all the gods, because for it to be a faithful Roman citizen was to act dutifully uh, towards the gods. Right. And they had many gods, and so they were happy with you. This is why they adopted gods into the, into the mix, so to speak. Um, they didn't mind having many gods, and, and um, you could worship whatever gods you wanted to. Right. But it would be strange, and it was strange, and this is well documented, for someone to not worship their gods, and this, and especially Caesar, so the early church is documented as a lot of their persecution is because they wouldn't, you know, say that Caesar is Lord, and we've talked about this. So piety is, um, we might take that word and and say, how does this relate in in biblical terms? Piety is simply. Um, devotion to God that is manifest mm -hmm. in a sense of duty to him and others. Uh, I'm trying to think of a parallel concept and, and perhaps the fear of God would be a, a parallel. Yep. The fear that. of God. And it's, it's one of those things where there's a probably multiple ways of describing the same reality. Right. 
Um, but well, it's obedience, sense, of course. We yeah. classify that. As yeah, pride. and and when you see um, on the coins, you know, Aeneas carrying his father, you know, there's a sense of duty to one's family mm. as well. And so I, I just, I mean, as far as I can tell, what I've read, the the, the summary is duty and devotion, right? Basically, so. That that's a good definition of of piety, and that brings us to pietism. Now, yeah. when you put an ism on the end of something, you're generally extrapolating from the uh, from the idea and making something more out of it. So, I don't know, Ben. Do you want to expand on that? What is the yeah? Ism? So, so pietism as a movement uh, kind of was a branch out of the the Lutheran Church in mm. the 17th century, and as a reaction to what had become. A kind of formal, empty uh, intellectual religion. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, initially, it was it was good. Their intention was good. They wanted, um, you know, an, an experiential, vital, um, non, uh, you know, empty religion. Right. They wanted to pursue the the real substance of things. Authentic devotion. Authentic, but right. it was. But it was a reaction. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily uh, based on principle. It was like, we don't like what's happening here. We're going to react with this. And so Luther's classic kind of analogy of the drunk man on a horse, you know, you go too far this way and then you go too far the other way. And and so it became uh, a, a, an overemphasis, hence the, the ism, um, on individual spirituality. Mm, Um, There was a move away from uh, objective truth uh, to almost a a mystical, detached experientialism, uh, kind of divorcing the spiritual life from the physical life. That's Mm. where kind of that dichotomy uh, came into things. So, Ben, it's not just that there was an emphasis on individual spirituality, but it's a redefining of what individual spirituality is. It becomes something that is privatized. Mm. And the Christian faith is something that is always personal. And and in that, you know, know, a, a, a move in piety towards an authentic, personal devotion to God and other people... Um, is what your aim is. That's a good thing. But right. but personal doesn't mean private. And that's right. what we're running into now is downstream. Yeah. And maybe I'll let you come back to it. Hmm. Now it's like, it's not actually pious to be involved in anything beyond my belly button, so yeah. to speak. It, it assumes right. the best of the individual and the worst of the corporate. Um, it, so, it places the individual kind of at the forefront. And so, so they're reacting against kind of a dead formalism, and they're reacting against a system that would have involved a lot of liturgy, uh, a lot of community. Um, I guess you could say whole church participating in things together. Mm-hmm. But they're seeing that this is just people uh, going through the motions, and so they're reacting to it that way, and they they end up overcorrecting. Um, and privatize the thing. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know if we want to start applying this yet here, if we or if we want to keep defining things. But I see that in uh, I grew up in the Pentecostal uh, tradition, and there was a there was a very strong reaction against any type of liturgy, yeah, uh, or any type of tradition. Uh, even though everybody's got traditions, they just don't always see them. Uh, but there was a, there was always a, a reaction against that type of thing. Yeah. So I mean that maybe that's an outworking of this inner 
privatized religion. Yeah, there's a, there's a there's uh, yeah. This is where I was thinking of. I wasn't thinking this way, but this is really helpful. Um, it's authentic devotion. Then, but true piety is you know devotion and duty, authentic duty and devotion to God and to your fellow man. Um, <clears throat> then, what we see today is authentic devotion and duty is primarily personalized. Right. So something that is you know, his, placed on us from history or tradition is, is set up as an antithesis to personal, as in you either have a formal liturgy and a rootedness in a tradition, or you're authentic. But those things are mutually exclusive. Right. You, you can't be rooted in a tradition and be authentic. Right. Yeah, mm. and you need both. Yeah. Um, yeah, things go bad when... Right. Um, People just don't like their opinions uh, to be challenged, yeah. Um, and 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 kind of spirituality stays confined to the inner life and and the home and um, kind of your own ideas. There's this uh, aversion to being challenged, uh, a suspicion of authority, mm. um, and it's. Yeah. Do you do you see a connection? Uh, I'm I'm reading um, Carl Truman's book, uh, Rise and Triumph: The Modern Modern Self. Yeah, and he's dealing with um, this sort of authentic self idea that we get, where the internal you is the real you. Yeah. That's the authentic you. I'm wondering if this is, uh, you know, that's coming from Rousseau and some of these other philosophers of the uh, 17th and 18th centuries. So I wonder if that actually grew out of this uh, this type of thinking. Yeah, it certainly uh, holds hand with it. Like, like with it, yeah. to think that you can't be authentic if you're participating in something that was handed down to you. You're saying that's just a false dichotomy. That's not. It doesn't have to be that way. You need both of those things. Yeah, yeah. You right. need and 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 we've with with the Pietism, we've gotten away from truth being arrived at through objective processes of discussion and debate let's sit down and hammer it what this text means right let's here's the objective truth let's do exegesis let's have a, a council and a, and a discussion and a robust right. argument let's get to the bottom of this thing mm-hmm. there's um it's like why would you even need that yeah a pietistic view yeah it's just like right. um what i have arrived at uh is 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 preeminent is is the most important thing right. and that it it just it fits hand in glove with the individualism of our age, right? Whether the chicken or the egg first, but it's certainly it's it's the air we breathe. It's what right. we've grown up in. And so, one of the dangers, as far as it relates to even what we talk about on the podcast, is that it's somewhat um, antithetical to a robust view of um, dominion, because all of a sudden that the, the the duties, okay, if, if true piety has to do with the exercise of our duties, what are they? Right. And in a pietistic framework, they are very narrow. Yeah. It's like, read my Bible, so pray, personal, have some experience, yeah. personal relationship with God, whatever that means. Uh, that's a long cry from, you know, carrying your dad and looking after your family. Um you know, it's your duties get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Where we are today, to make practical application, uh, Christians have zero duty to engage in anything 
in the broader culture. In fact, according to many Canadian evangelicals, especially, this is even different than American, because I've, I've heard some American talks on this, and pietism is just really the, the religion of Canadian evangelicals in some way. Um, it's actually wrong to be engaged in uh, greater societal concerns about justice and mercy, um, about uh, concern for your neighbor. I mean, we have our charities and we give our money and we do this, but it's, you know, when someone says, hey, um, what the authorities are doing is wrong, Christians in Canada don't typically debate that. It, it, a lot of people feel, stay in your lane. Like, that's not actually very Christian of you to comment on that. That's not very pious of you. Right, so they've defined Christianity as what happens in your heart and between your ears. They've, they've so compartmentalized the duties of a Christian yeah. to basically preclude any, like the majority of what Scripture calls us to. Yeah, right. It's this tiny little story. It's a false narrative. It's a false narrative of Scripture. It's a false gospel because it's not truly what Christ came for in its fullness, and it tends towards self-righteousness. Yeah. So what, what we need is not less piety. No, that's kind of the the caricature right. of of kind of our side of things. It's just like, oh, you guys are um, against all this, and it's like, no, we we're we are encouraging piety to go out to all areas of life, right? Yeah, in politics, in science, in in, in right. everything, right? We, yeah, we need more piety, but not I, less. And that's and that's the disconnect in most people's minds because when they think of piety, they're probably thinking of you know like a nun. Yeah, praying it, for ten hours it, straight in some cloistered room somewhere by herself. Uh, no. yeah, and this is this is that is the problem because um, the scripture does not see a Christian as being faithful um, if they just live a cloistered life. Now there may be people who are called to live a more um, you know secluded life and that type of thing. But you're definitely not more pious for ignoring your duties to your neighbor and to glorify God as his image bearer in this world. You're not. It's not a sign of piety. But for a lot of people, it's actually a badge of honor um, that they don't get involved in such earthly things, right? Hmm. I th- so when I was thinking about pietism, this is good because we didn't compare notes beforehand, Um I was thinking, so I define piety as basically a, uh, a counter, or pietism, as a counterfeit of piety that prioritizes the appearance of piety over its uh, authentic expression. So when I think of this in biblical terms, I'm thinking of um, false religion. So pietism as a counterfeit is false religion, which is hypocrisy. And the reason why this is an issue is is there was a historical movement about regarding pietism, but it's also um, human nature to fall into the ditches and the temptations of pietism. It's not just because of our historical situation. Right. Things contribute to that. But the reason Christians need to really understand this, if we just think biblically for a second, um, we're so used to reading the Gospels and hearing the story that it just... It just, I think we miss sometimes the big things that are right in front of us. One of the big things in the narrative is who were Jesus' enemies? Who were Jesus' enemies? It it wasn't unbelievers and sinners. 
It was actually the pious people, so to speak. It was the people who were viewed by the population as being the most pious. They were his enemies. Sometimes I just stop and think about this, and we need to do it more. It is no small thing that the Pharisees and the scribes and the elders are the ones who actually called for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Like that's central to the narrative of Scripture is the people of God rejecting him. Mm-hmm. And this is how Peter interprets it when he preaches his first sermon. The rulers were gathered, surely they were gathered against you, quoting Psalm 2. Who were they? Well, they yeah. were actually his own people. And it was the Gentiles too. And they were the people that were most revered by the population yes. as, as being the religious. So right? think about this. The people who were revered as being the most devoted, the most um, acting according to their duties were the people who were actually not doing any of that. Right. Uh, I'm thinking of the uh, the words of Jesus when he said, you tithe your, your mint and dill and cumin, but you neglect the weightier things of the Lord. Yes. Right. And, and he, I mean, he, he's constantly uh, harping on them and, and uh, condemning them. You know, you prey on, on weak women and you're all lovers of, of gain and money. Yes. Um, he's actually exposing their true sin that they're covering over with their small acts yeah, of you obedience. Whitewash tombs. Right, whitewash tombs. You, uh, you cleanse the outside of the cup, you know? Yeah. And it's this is the idea of hypocrisy. It's That's why I say pietism is prioritizing the appearance of piety over its authentic expression. And this is what... The, this is what the leaders were like. The reason, I think, Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, why he gives such a strong warning is, can we not just say, looking around at us, um, the counterfeits are the most dangerous things. Like, what Christian is tempted to go follow after a prostitute? You know what I mean? I mean, we may be tempted to give in to sin and, and stuff, but it's like, it's not very likely that someone will set them up as a paragon of virtue, but it is very likely that we would promote a hypocrite to a place of leadership and that we would see their life as something worthy of imitation and we would follow them. There's something that is uniquely dangerous, which is why it's described as love and it gets into everything. No one follows a tax collector. No one follows a prostitute, but people will follow a hypocrite. People will be led by um, a hypocrite. So, mm-hmm. so it's something we always need to be aware of. And so how does this relate to sort of the privatization that we're talking about? Because they did things out in the open, right? The Pharisees, they would go on the street corner and pray real loud so everybody could, could yeah. see. But when we're talking about pietism, we're talking about that, um, that uh, I guess, removing, removing part of that dominion mandate, you yeah. know, going into all the world and just making it about me. Well, you you mentioned that, and I actually had a bunch of texts, but Matthew twenty three twenty three, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites! You tithe mint and dill and cumin and neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So the, again, you have this people latching on to the things that are easy um, for them to accomplish. And yet they ignore the things that are more difficult that would expose their lack of righteousness. And those are actually weightier things. And justice, according to the old covenant, is seeking justice for everyone in society. Mm. 
Um, it's not actually just taking your dill or giving your tithe at church. You're going to church. That's not seeking justice. Right. I it, think of, um, sorry to interrupt. Uh, no, the, go ahead. Uh, Jesus saying, you know, if you're going to offer, uh, if you're going to offer your sacrifice and remember that you have something between you and your brother, yeah, like go and deal with it first. Yeah. And there's that thing like, you, you know, going and, and offering a sacrifice doesn't excuse you from your external duties. No. Of the law. No. Yeah, pietism yeah. is yeah, it just totally ignores a massive portion of the duties that God has for Christians. Right. Yeah. And it's a convenient holdout for people who want to avoid the cost, avoid taking up your cross. Yeah. And I'm thinking of, of the rich young ruler in Mark ten who went to Jesus and had a laundry list of ways in which he had observed the law. Um and Jesus pinpointed uh, the 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 fatal flaw in in his religion. Right? It was that um, he had a hidden idol that he was unwilling to give up. And you know, he he told them, you, "You give your possessions away to the poor." That wasn't an across the board command for all Christians, but he he revealed the idol in his heart. Yeah. And Pietism right. is a conven- a convenient reaction for those who really don't want to have to sacrifice anything, yeah. but still really want to appear Look like they're religious sacrificing. and pious. And there's, I mean, this ties into last week's episode about self-deception as well, yeah. right? When you're spending hours a day in prayer and study, I'm sure you feel like you're all right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you're, you, you, you're sort of satisfying your own conscience in a way. Yeah. Um, while still neglecting uh, other things, I'm obviously speaking to myself here. This yeah. is uh, this is something that I definitely deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we maybe yeah, and maybe the pietists do that. Maybe they spend hours in prayer. I, I think um, on the ground, it's more people who again are bereft of actual the substance of spirituality. I think the right. people who would pray for hours a day and read their Bible would be. Um, out there being pious in the world, like yeah. living a true holiness. It's the people who really almost an exaggerated form of outward spirituality. You know, mm. they've got all these things going on and it looks like they're really doing well. And But when it comes, when the rubber meets the road, when it actually, they have to lay down something, um, you know, the the substance isn't there. They, they are those who justify themselves before men. And, uh, this is, I mean, this is what social media is, right? It's like, a look what reform book I'm reading. Look what quote I have. Look at, um, you know, it's just like virtue signaling is basically what we do now. This is this is the modern day equivalent of what Jesus talked about the Pharisees, um, justifying themselves and loving to be seen in the marketplace and this type of thing. Um, another thing that's characteristic of pietists, because they they're ultimately trying to actually escape their duties, by looking right. like they're maintaining them, is he says uh, to the Pharisees, you teach as the, doc- as, um, the doctrine of God, the commands of men. And so they actually make up these these moralistic rules, which they appear, make them appear like very serious. It's like the, the, the Dale and the cumin. Yeah. Why is this dangerous? Well, someone who would go even to those things, the little things, everyone around them will say, whoa, 
That guy is serious. They must have the big stuff down yeah. pat. And then, yeah. and God's like, no, no, this guy is like a junior kindergarten spirituality. He doesn't have a big spirituality. He actually has no spirituality. But that's why Jesus warns. That's why we have to be warned about it. Because most people look at pietists and think they're actually really godly. So one of the things they do is they teach as, um, as the commands of God, the doctrines of men. And we've seen that rampant over the last two years. Uh, people, pastors requiring people to have a dress code to attend worship and forbidding them from doing otherwise, irregardless of whether or not that particular practice is built on the truth or a lie. Um, adding to Scripture, you know, the commands of God, and yet neglecting what God actually commands. Gathering of the people, gathering God's people on the Lord's day, like actively neglecting what He commands, and what the New Testament says, don't neglect, and then requiring things, and then acting as if it's such a Pharisee thing to think that you throwing a piece of cloth on your face is actually a righteous thing. Like how many times have we heard the phrase out of love for neighbor as a summary yeah. of the law? It's almost a caricature. It's just like I'm fulfilling all of the law because I stayed home because I stopped going to church, because I um, because I didn't get involved with those pedestrian issues. Right. You know what I mean? But this is, this is like the majority of people. So what does, what does true piety look like? I know we've kind of already touched on it. And how does it, uh, how does it relate to our dominion? How does it relate to us taking dominion and exercising Christ's dominion over this world? Yeah, it 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 again it means obedience in every area of yeah, life. Yeah. Yeah, in every in every subject. Yeah. I mean, uh, we were listening to uh a, a pod, Andrew Sandon's podcast and it's it's great on pietism and he was talking about how if you if you don't address how the Bible talks about civil interactions. It doesn't mean you won't have a political theology. It doesn't right. mean you, you you won't have to interact in it in some way. Right. It just means you won't have uh, a philosophy of civil interaction that is informed by the scriptures. It yeah. just right, mean yeah. it's and informed by secularism. And the, yeah. point, the point he's making is that there were, there, there's many pastors say, well, we don't want to teach politics at this church. Yeah. Uh, and Andrew Sandlin's point is, if you don't, they're going to learn it from the world. Mm-hmm. So they can either learn it from you, how does God want us to think about politics, or they're going to learn about it from the world. So neglecting that isn't some uh, super spiritual thing where it's like we're, we're, we're above these things. We're just going to be spiritual and not... Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's just... Uh, pietism has just allowed us to reinforce this kind of dualism yeah. where right. it's like, you know, you... you my obedience is confined to Sundays uh, with my family, uh, just very, and like you were saying, Al, just very narrow. And it's like, where did you, where did you get that? The Bible certainly didn't give you those categories. No, um, you know, yeah. uh, I think obedience about, it spills out in, into everything. There's not one part of our life that right. doesn't live Coram Deo before mm-hmm. the face of God. Uh, you see this all through the New Testament when Paul's giving exhortations about people not stealing anymore i said you shouldn't steal anymore you should work but why why should you work 
so that you can have stuff to give to other people yeah. and provide for other people yeah. and bless other people. Like there's a spiritual aspect of getting a job yeah. and not not sucking off of the system. Yeah, the categories yeah. aren't you know? airtight so the way they're talking about when, it. And a, a great example is this. I've noticed that all the people, I mean, virtually all the people who say we shouldn't be political are li- are literally doing everything the politicians say. Right. It's like... I'm saying let's not be political. Like you have taken a political stand by being compliant, compliant. You are letting politics govern your church. Right. What we are proposing, what scripture proposes is render under Caesar what Caesar's and render under God to God what is God's. And you actually create a distinction. So not everything is political. But when you say we must comply with the politicians to not be political, you are just living in uh, something that doesn't exist. You are being dominated by politics Mm. because you won't think about politics. And that's what happens. And and you mentioned family as well in all of these areas of life. uh, We are responsible to glorify God in everything that we do. And I mean, I, I I saw Raul came out with that post the other day about quoting, um, I forget who it was, a reformer. Essentially, the point being, we should let the doctors be worried about the science, and we should focus on spiritual issues like the sovereignty of God, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Now, the danger, again, is because there's a part truth in this, is that um, the church ought to not simply be res- sound like the news, Right. But at the same time, it's like, okay, one, what doctors? Yeah. Like you're you're assuming a unanimity amongst the experts, which simply doesn't exist. And so what if to put it on the ground, a congregant comes to you and says, My doctor recommends that I don't get the vaccine because I have a serious medical condition. Um, and this has happened, by the way. But they're too afraid. Like I literally talked to someone who had this conversation. They're too afraid to write me a letter. So they'll write me a letter saying I need to go to the hospital when I get my vaccine so that I have medical treatment available to me in the high likelihood that I have a severe reaction. That's what they're told by their doctor. It's called malpractice. Yeah, and they come to you, <laughs> they come to you and say, um, what should I do? Because my employer says that I'm going to lose my job if I don't do this and I can't provide for my family and God requires me as a duty to do that. So you can't neatly separate these things into the things yeah. that God wants us to talk about and the things he wants us to leave to other people. And actually doing that, to be frank, is just cowardice. It's what yeah. you're saying. And this guy's a coward, Paul Carter. He's a total coward. Is He's saying that he doesn't have the courage to help his people and he won't suffer the consequences for it. Right? That's what he's saying. So it's like our job as leaders and pastors and shepherds is to how to help the sheep understand how to walk faithfully with Jesus in every area of their life. And this fake spirituality that tries to say we're focusing on the spiritual things and leave these other things to the experts is an illusion and it's just rank hypocrisy. And you know who suffers for it? Sheep. Just like the people did under the Pharisees. You tie these heavy burdens on people that you yourselves are unwilling to lift. Right, so it's like, really, do you care? Do you care so little about the people in your church that you won't help them think through the very practical issues of the day? It's such an ignorant, it's such an ignorant, selfish thing to do. Yeah, there's just, uh, and like you said, there's such a compartmentalization of spiritual life, 
other life, world, yeah. worldly life. And I mean, we got this growing up, right? I remember that song, This World Is Not My Home, I'm Just a Passing Through. Yeah. Like songs like yeah. that, that, you know, there's maybe, again, there's a kernel of truth in there yeah. somewhere. But it's like, no, actually, God is restoring all things. Is he yeah. not? Is he not doing that? Is that not part of pietism? Like, mm-hmm. so, yeah, trying to separate those things is just. Um, yeah, counterproductive. Yeah, you know, what do they call it? Like a resignation theology or something like right. that. It's like everyone can just burn, but um, you know, I, I'm or the pilgrim theology used not right. in a good way. Kind of you're just passing through, and everyone else, and you're concerned with the spiritual matters of life, and all those other things are pedestrian and and uh, uh, not really worthy of. Uh, Christians' attention or pastors' instruction, or you know, we're kind of up here. It's 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 basically straight Gnosticism. It's you know, um, the spiritual world is the priority, and the physical world right. is is infinitely inferior. And what we even right. do there doesn't really matter. And it's it's scary how much um, Pietism works out on the ground, where you talk to someone who seems very spiritual. And knows the language, knows the jargon, and uh, ties the mint and, and cumin, and 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 then you hear what they said at work, or what they were doing, or a decision they made, and you're just like, "How did you do that? Like, yeah. is it just a is a straight inconsistency here?" But yeah. again, the the dualism of Pietism allows you to do that, yeah, and and think that everything's right. okay. It's it's devastating. So why do you think, this is my last question I wrote down, if this is something that we're all prone to because we're human, to be self-righteous, be hypocritical, compartmentalize things, why do you think Canadians are particularly susceptible? Because this obviously, we're all capable of it, but there's a way in which this is, it, and, and my thought is it closely resembles a lot of Canadian values. Um, and I'm interested for your take, so to give yeah. you an example is the value of um, compliance and conformity. So Canadians look down their nose at the Americans who are always in conflict. Like, I grew up thinking that way as someone Mm. who is comfortable with conflict and learned about um, World War II and communism from my dad and care about freedom, these types of things. But it's it's like this general disdain for those lowbrow people south of us who can't, who just, they're always fighting. But not realizing that maybe there's some things worth fighting for. But it's an interesting comment that we mm. would see that as an inherent virtue, that you are free of conflict. It's like, well, that might be a good thing. It might also be because you are a, you know, an indifferent, hateful coward. Like, we kill children here. We kill elderly people. Yeah. And we don't even raise a, like, a voice about it. Mm-hmm. But in the, in the, for the Pharisees, we read repeatedly they were concerned about the crowds. They were concerned that the people were going after Jesus. They didn't really care that maybe what he said was true or helpful to people even. They do this with Peterson, right? It's like helps thousands of people, no one's helping, and they're just angry. Well, they're angry and jealous and envious that people were following them. Yeah, They wanted the social order that they were used to and comfortable with, which had them at the top, mm. looking to them, viewed as respected and, a, and an example to follow. Here comes this guy who totally doesn't fit that, who's from the bottom of the ladder, and he's actually 
the most righteous man who's ever lived. And in fact, being exposed to him exposes you. Um, They don't like that. They like everyone to just fit in. So they're even willing to go to the Romans and say, we need to take care of this guy. We need to get him out of here. Like We'll even go to our enemies because as long as we can maintain our control, um, that's fine. And I find Canadians are like that. Like People are just, and Christians sadly too, are just, it's like not pious to have a disagreement with a pagan ruler. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. why rock the boat? Why be divisive yeah. and all these things? We just, we have such simplistic categories. Um, conflict is bad. Peace at all costs is good. Yeah. And, and and we've grown up, most of us, in a culture that allows us to have those categories. Yeah. Right? Well, we think. The Meanwhile, of all of this yeah. evil has crept in because we're not willing to die on any hill. Because your duties get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller to avoid that conflict. It's like uh, right. Chamberlain yes. coming back or yeah. from uh, Europe. Peace in our the, time. Peace in our time. I got this signed note from Herr Hitler that yeah. uh, everything's going to be fine. Yeah. You're just putting off the day. Yeah, pushing pushing back the day of conflict. That's what the false teachers did. Woe to you, say peace, peace when there's no peace. Right, they're lying about the conflict we're in. And Um, yeah, and we've just been so we've grown so accustomed to our comforts and our conveniences, and we are willing willing to risk almost anything. Uh, no matter how central the truth to keep those intact, it's scary watching people who talk a big game. Bravado out the wazoo, and then when it comes to actually making a cost, I'm thinking of a few people right now. It's just they're they're out of there. It's yeah. just or or redefining terms. Oh yeah, or um, so they're not really responsible. Yeah, yeah, or just just taken off. It's 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 just an it, it's an impulse we have. It's yeah. just a knee jerk reaction. We just oh man, conflict. It's got to be bad. It's yeah. going to mean something. Sacrificial for me, so I just I got to get out of here, right? We're just used to it. Mm. Uh, can you reiterate your last question as well? Uh, you said you wanted to get. Why is Pietism it? so rampant in Canada? Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, I had a thought, and we've we've touched on this before, but it's just we've had such long-standing peace yeah. in this country uh, in a way that I don't know if any other country in the history of the world has had the kind of. Um, not the kind of peace and prosperity. No, for sure. We we are bordered by the world's superpower, who are our friends. Yeah, uh, militarily and and diplomatically, for the most part. You know, we get our squabbles here and there, but um, you know, it's that whole thing in eighteen twelve. But other than that, pretty good. Uh, we've just we're, we're secure. Mm-hmm. We're secure. Our governments have never been overly um, revolutionary or. And maybe that's just a Canadian thing, right? It's like we're so non-threatening, but there's mm-hmm. something happening beneath the surface that that uh, people didn't see, and so it, it, I think it's complacency is a big part of it. If you were looking for a people to enslave, like if you had a prospect of like what better people could you find than Canadians? Yeah, mm-hmm. We just see it coming. Embrace <laughs> eagerly mm-hmm. slavery. Mm-hmm. Bring it on! Yeah, I'll wear fourteen masks. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. Just like. And if I can prop up my own virtue in the midst of it, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Right. Just make sure I still have my uh, my my sea do in the summer and my big yeah. screen TV and my that's video right. Games and eventually and, you won't have those. No. That's the lie. Yeah, but it seems like you might be able to keep them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But there's also um, 
a kind of stay in your lane mentality that a theology of dominion really shatters. It's like um, you actually do have a duty to God and to your neighbor to, as, as Joe Boot says, think and act Christianly yeah. um, in every area of your life. And I actually find that encouraging and inspiring and hopeful. But there's a way in which that's kind of terrifying. Because like you said, it's costly. Um, it's going to be costly mm-hmm. if you have to. It's like we all want to be hobbits, mm-hmm. right? But we don't We don't realize that the only reason, you know, hobbiting can exist is because people like Strider are in the wilderness fighting battles. And, and we need to realize that a few more of us need to walk out that door and wherever the road takes us kind mm-hmm. of thing. And in fact, all of us. And what we're not advocating for is, you know, the caricature of therefore everyone needs to become a politician. No, we're not saying that at all. A healthy view of dominion actually will limit our our view of politics, which is essentially which is becoming everything is political. Yeah, we will put it in the rightful sphere um, and domain of human existence. But likes to see that Christians have a duty to God and neighbor in every area of life, education. That's why we started the school. Um, it's like, wait a second, whose job is it to raise our children? Oh, it's our job. Oh, well, what does it mean to raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? And, you know, oh, maybe we can't trust people it, who don't even believe in the Lord to do that. Yeah. What yeah. does it mean? What does it mean to love and care for our neighbor? We've farmed yeah. that out to public health. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If it's like lose, maybe it's your yeah. duty to put that guy on, on your horse and take him to an inn and bandage his wounds. Yeah. 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 Oh, if he loses his job, well, the government will pay for it. Yeah, yeah. he'll he'll be fine. He'll, there'll still be food on the table. Well, it's it, it just like the Pharisees who actually burden people and and ignore justice. You know, it's interesting that um, I haven't heard, and this is just my own experience. It's anecdotal. I don't hear the pro compliance people speaking out strongly publicly. I don't mean politic. I don't mean getting involved in politics. I just mean being a Christian. Uh, about the objective, known, indisputable harms that are being caused to the poor and vulnerable throughout the world because of the actions of our politicians. Mm. No one says, I, I haven't heard anyone say, it sucks, it's unfortunate, but I just have to do it. But I'm going to advocate for and stand in the place of um, people who are suffering under those things. It, it's actually damnable if the church didn't, if the church was actually not thinking this way, there wouldn't be any of these issues. And there's a, there's a complicity with this. There's a complicity with this. Because when you go along with evil, um, you actually are, you bear uh, responsibility for what happens. It's not all the same, but uh, Germans in, in Nazi-occupied Germany definitely bore responsibility for what happens to the Jews. And it's the same with Canadians. And that's not an unfair analogy. There's there's differences, and I of can course. See, you see that in scripture. The difference between um, Pilate and uh, who, who compares um, Pilate and the Jewish leaders, and says that the Jewish leaders were more in the wrong. Right. Yeah. Well, even even um, Jesus talks about this multiple times when he says uh, he talks about um, it's a city that got torched. Um, Sodom. Yeah, like it would have been, it, it's going to be... Better for your sister Sodom. Yeah. yeah. And it's because we are responsible for what we know. 
Yeah. And he's like, to you belong the prophets and the oracles of God. And, You've been told. I was there. I, yeah. The son of God was amidst you or among you and, and you rejected him. And, yeah. and maybe that's why there's such a determined resistance away from from knowing, yeah. from discussing. Oh, from, from looking. Yeah. actual exegesis. From yeah. actual, It's like, if I don't know that, if I'm not confronted with that, then I won't be complicit in it, right? Oh, that, that's it's it's a criminal avoidance. It is. But yeah. that determination is behind it, I think. Yeah. And it keeps happening. It's like two years of excuses rather than actually positively discerning, you know, walking in wisdom and responding. It's like, I'm going to create this illusion whereby I have no responsibility to do anything that would bring me into conflict with people. And it's just, your lies get so deep at that point. And there's judgment for that. They just, and it, it is like the church in Canada is being judged. It's being yeah. sifted. Yeah. And uh, and praise God, He's waking us up from our complacency, and yeah, and He's shaking things up, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the terrors are being exposed, and um, He's refining His church, mm-hmm. which is which is a mercy to us. It is a painful mercy, but still it a is. mercy. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, this has been great. Yeah, great conversation. We wanted to do uh, a little segment here uh, at the end. A uh, what are what are you reading segment? Nice. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start off. Yeah. I've been reading. Uh, I got a really nice edition of the Silmarillion for Christmas. Oh, from my wife. Look at you. I know. I've I started you. that about ten times and abandoned yeah. it every time. Same. I I'm reading other stuff at the same time. So this is going to be like a get to it every now and then type of read. I mm-hmm. uh, had some really great introductory material. Uh, a very long letter from Tolkien to his editor. They give some of the background. And to be honest, I got three pages into Tolkien's letter. And I was like, I just want to read the Silmarillion. Like, I have no idea what it's about. Like, zero idea. Yeah. Uh, and I love going into a book like that where you, mm. you really don't know what's going on. I knew there's something about jewels and, and music at the beginning. There was music that sort of, you know, goes along with the creation, similar to um, Lewis's uh, creation in um, uh, Magician's Nephew. So I'm enjoying it so far. Um, definitely recommend that to anybody. But, uh, you know, what are you guys reading? Uh, a few things. Um, one that I've really been enjoying again. I've enjoyed it before. Is Lewis's Space Trilogy. We're actually oh, we're actually so re- good. reading it together with the with the seven eights, and they're enjoying it too. It's it's pretty dense, but it's it, yeah. it's just fantastic. I, so out of the Silent Planet. Um, Paralandra, Paralandra, and it, I just love. Well, I love Lewis's language, the beauty of his his language, and uh, his knowledge of um, kind of medievalism and and uh, the, their conception of the harmony of of the spheres, right. and in in out of the Silent Planet, you have Earth. Alone, which is the silent planet hmm. one, the one, the one yeah. that has it's rebelled, uh, rebelled and abandoned the knowledge of God, yeah. huh. and so suffering under the the domain of 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 the bent one, right? And yes. it would become <laughs> bent. And I love Lewis's yeah. anti-progressivism. I mean, it's just all throughout oh, yeah. his books, but especially yeah, the the um, antagonist is one of these science Weston. is going to take over everything. That's We're right. Just going along with the progress. That's that's his mission, yeah. To hop to planet to planet and and yeah. basically dominate each At one. Cost, when they've yeah. burnt it out, they go on to the next one, right? Yeah. And you see that that continues on through the whole series, that's but right. especially in the last. Yes, one. My, that's actually my favorite book. Is, I, is the it strength. gets so much flack 
Really? Yeah. yeah people oh. people hate that book, but it's really? it's so good. Um, yeah, it's just so different than the other <laughs> Ben's two. Ben's thinking. I hope I never meet them. I just yeah, yeah I can't actually understand that. <laughs> I don't um, want to know those people. <laughs> yeah, but it exposes them. He exposes them at the end of Out of the Silent Planet. Kind of Weston, this progressivist, is facing a council of these godlike beings yeah. and the ridiculousness of materialism and progressivism and this and the march the inevitable march of man is just presented in all its silliness yeah. and it's and it's just sheer rebellion as well um so it's just always an enjoyable read and, and one i really some recommend. of the pros in paralandra when he is um confronting the the satan figure mm. who's basically a zombie mm. um and he's being controlled by these evil spirits some of the dialogue is like some of the best stuff I've ever read. And it's sort of recapitulating the Adam and Eve temptation yes, story. Yes. Uh, and so you get this interplay between uh, a human who knows the Adam and Eve story and knows how it turned out mm. and the tempter who's tempting this this Eve-like uh, woman uh, who's innocent and doesn't understand. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got to explain. Anyway, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Al, so. what are you reading? I um I'm reading I'm starting a couple of things. I picked up uh Christian Manifesto Schaefer again. Um but before that what I actually finished was uh Kenneth Gentry Jr. wrote like a an intro to post millennial. Yeah, I'm right in the middle of that one right now. Oh yeah. are you? Yeah. How are you finding it? It's a flyover. It's good. I I want to be convinced. Yeah. I'll tell you that. I I want you to be convinced. Yeah, I know. I, I I'm yeah, I still have uh, a few things, but it's 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 great. It's a great yeah. introduction. Yeah, and so the reason I like it, I like introductions, is I find it helpful sometimes to be situated in a topic. Mm. Um, some things when I do, where where I don't, I have very little knowledge. It helps me to get the forest first and then the trees. Now, there's a dialectic that goes on there. I'm, I understand, um, but I just found it really helpful to think through what is distinct distinct about post-millennialism right what are some of the, the ways they contrast with the other things yeah what are the key issues involved from their perspective and uh one of the big takeaways for me was thinking through the significance historically in god's plan of the fall of the temple in jerusalem so this is something that that according to a post-millennial view is referenced um, by scripture in a variety of ways including by jesus as right. a significant event. Yeah, your house is left desolate. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of, um, but it's something that, that happened, um, you know, lot, like after some books were written and stuff like that. So depending on where you date things. But I had never really thought about that. And so they would say some things that we typically think Jesus is referring to at the eschaton, at his ultimate return, actually he was referring to as having been fulfilled with the falling hmm. of the temple. What uh, What's Gentry's take on, and this is, which Gentry is? It's not Ken Kenneth Gentry. Oh, this Gentry. is Ken Gentry. Yeah. Okay, so he, he believes that uh, Revelation was written prior to the fall of the temple, I believe. Most of Revelation would have been fulfilled um, at, by the time the temple fell. Right. At the falling of the temple. But he believes it was actually written before the temple, yeah, before be, 70. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, so... it's a contentious issue. Yeah, and I haven't yeah. gotten into any of that, but that was that was a new category for me. Like, I've never even... 
I've heard about the significance of the temple in AD 70. I knew in relation to Revelation that some people thought that, but it, uh, thought that, but I hadn't seen someone go to Jesus in the Gospels and say, look, why are we all assuming that he's referring to that? What basis do we have? It's actually pretty shaky, and it's more likely this. So that was that was helpful. Mm-hmm. And again, it's post-millennialism has been referred to as a theology of hope, and I just feel that. I just feel... Um, I love thinking about the victory of Jesus and the purpose um, of our lives and the, the success of his mission in this world. Through suffering, through trial, through difficulty, through valleys, yes, but it's just... It was almost like when I became a Calvinist and I learned the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, that God actually preserves his people. It was like, yeah, that's just the gospel. Like if if I can lose what God gave me, then it wasn't really, it was always yeah. really me. And it just, it resonated with me so deeply. Hmm. So there's, I need to do a lot more study. I'm not prepared to teach on this or anything, but it was a book I read that every time I was reading, I was intellectually stimulated, and just encouraged. Right. Is that a smaller book? Because I know is. he's got some big stuff, too. He is like a 600-pager, yeah. but this is literally, I think it's 140 pages. Right. I think I think he's got one called Before Jerusalem Fell. Is that the big one? He has a bunch. No, the big one's called something else. Um, but... God Gave Wine or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Anywho. God Gave Wine. That's yeah. a great title. It is he a did. great title. I just want to read it for the title. <laughs> <laughs> Whiskey, too. Um, I wouldn't know anything about that personally because I'm too pietistic to. Uh, <laughs> You're too pious to. Uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been a great uh, episode today. Yep. Thanks for joining us, uh, Ben, and thanks for just showing up, Al. And, it's the uh, least I could do. Yeah, I'm going to leave us and the most uh, and the most. <laughs> I'm going to leave us with just some uh, verses from Psalm 84, thanks, verse brother. 10, 11, and 12, and then we'll see you next week. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. We'll see you next time.